0: As humans, we belong in a group. Much like horses, belonging to a herd allows us to truly thrive. So, what can we learn from horses to help us better connect with those around us and enable us to lead in more effective ways? In this episode, I speak to Beth Killow, owner of the Circle Up Experience, about how we can see our true nature through the eyes of a horse and what we can learn from animals to help us center on our human selves.
1: And I think that's the beauty of just settling in is like, you let your body tell you what it wants. Does it want to lay down on the ground? Does it want to move? Does it want to look around and touch leaves? It does want something if you listen. And that's what I've learned from the horses.
0: Beth Killo is the owner of the Circle Up Experience, a consulting firm which provides leadership training and culture development to corporations, universities, teacher groups, first responders, and nonprofit organizations. CircleUp has trained thousands of leaders all over the country and has designed long-term culture programs to transform workplace relationships. So, ready to learn more about how to help our human herds thrive? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Beth Kilo, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. So you have this amazing equine program that you put out in the world to help teams engage, help teams connect better with one another. And I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit more about that. Just get in the high level. and We'll dive in a little deeper about some of the amazing work you do.
1: Sure. So. Most of the work that I do with people begins with work that we do with my herd of horses. And I'm here at my ranch, but I also travel to other locations and work at other farms and ranches and am able to be remote. But when we bring horses and humans together, it allows humans to access parts of ourselves that we normally don't use when we're just doing human to human relationship. And so I do long-term coaching, leadership development, and culture change work with individuals and groups and organizations. But I really, really love and sometimes insist that that work that we do begin with this equine component. Um, It wakes up a part of us. Um, like nothing else that I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. And I can relate to that connection. You can build with horses because I grew up riding horses and showed horses in college and don't ride so much anymore, unfortunately. But um, I know that bond. I know that connection you can build with the animals and it's powerful. It almost brings me to tears to think about it. But back in the day, I had a thoroughbred and uh, back in the barn where I used to keep her, we would go out in the arena when nobody was there. And she wanted to race me. Literally, she would want to line up and race me. And of course, she was always going to win. Wow! But it was always we'd line up and she'd wait until I said go. And then I'd start running and she'd take off and she would trot back with her tail up in the air like she had just accomplished the world. And it was just, Uh. it was so fun. I always laughed because of course, I I was never going to be a thoroughbred running across the arena. But that bond that we had was real. It was fun. And she was just, it was an important part of my life that was really impactful to me. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing story. Yeah. So um, I don't get a chance to talk about that a whole lot. So I'm glad I got a chance to do that today.
1: And what you shared, that part of you that brings you to almost to tears, that there's a reason for that. (sighs) There's a reason that those memories and oftentimes their childhood memories with our animals in nature, exploring, there's a reason that those memories move us Mm. and bring us to an emotional place quickly because we're often longing for
0: that. Oh, absolutely. And I think now, especially given You know, our decrease in connection because of the pandemic, I would imagine that this kind of connection with the animals is tremendously important and valuable at this time. I know on your website, I love the tagline, you've got natural leadership programs for human herds, (laughs) because we really are animals that were built to live in groups. Yes. One of the other things I really love about what you teach is that the animals are our educators that they are our teachers. So what are some of the most valuable lessons that the horses teach folks that come visit you at the Circle Up experience?
1: I think it dovetails from the story you just shared which is that they teach us how to authentically be ourselves, how to authentically play, how to authentically connect. That horse that you had showed you how she wanted to play with you and You found a way to have an activity together. And, you know, one of the most important lessons that they teach us is how to be honest about that. They're radically honest about who they are and what they need and what kind of relationship they want to have. And the socialized self of the human animal, that part of us that learns how to behave at dinner parties and not to throw food and not to, you know, uh, attack each other, which is a really good part of us, right? It's, we don't want to disavow that. <laughs> but that part of us is like an overly developed muscle. And so our animal teachers and, and horses in particular, for a few important reasons, but they teach us how to listen to a part of ourselves that is that mammal part of us. I think it's the core lesson. And There's many lessons that come from that, but they remind us that first and foremost, we are animals. And they're only going to relate with us on those terms first. They don't want our resume. They don't want our bank account. (laughs) They don't want (laughs) the degrees and letters after our name. They don't care about that. They want to know that we can be a partner in awareness, that we are willing to build trust as a process that we're going to listen to their needs and express our own clearly and that we can act as a herd so that we can create safety together and that's a lesson that the human herd has long forgotten so that's actually those needs that the horses have from us are the same needs we have for each other and so i think that's the core piece you brought it up from the tagline, first and foremost, we are human animals, and first and foremost, we live in
0: herds. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. I think, Beth, you're going to pull out some more horse stories from me.
1: <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I
0: thought of another one. Back several years ago when I was in college, I was taking some riding lessons from a very accomplished dressage teacher. To pay for my lessons, I would muck stalls and so forth and clean tack. Well, one night I was feeding the horses. It was a stormy night. I went approached the last stall in the barn right next to the big barn door. So if anyone is familiar with big, large pole barns that have large doors, if it it gets hit by wind, it will slam against the (laughs) building and make a very tremendously loud thundering noise. And so right when I approached the stall, opened the door, Bam, the door slams against the barn, makes a huge noise. The horse turns around, and who do they see at the stall? They see me. Yeah. And from that point on, I became a horse eating monster <laughs> to that horse. Uh. And every time that horse would see me, the, the horse would be terrified. And it was somewhat funny, but it kind of goes back to what you were saying. They're animals first. Yeah. They react to us based on their animal instincts. We have to be mindful about how they might react to our presence. And it was a tremendously important lesson for me, not only an awareness or personal awareness of how my actions or even my presence might impact, in this case, a horse, another one, but uh, someone else, but also an empathy. Yeah. I think really caring and thinking about how others might respond to our actions or even sometimes just our presence.
1: Yeah. And the amazing thing about the horses is that if we see that reaction, and the same, this, this is the lesson for humans, when we see that we've impacted another, whether it's equine or human, it can be repaired. We're learning about each other when we do something that influences another being and we see what their response is. They're telling us a story about their own sensitivity. And how we listen to that and attend to it and show another, again, whether it's a horse or a human, that we see that we've impacted them, that process of learning about each other's sensitivities and slowing things down, we can repair any of those missteps. And I think what happens a lot for the human ego is that when we have, you know, slammed the barn door <laughs> with another person. We've acted in a way that has scared someone else. That's usually why someone's become reactive. We've something we've done has has threatened their sense of either psychological or physical safety. When that happens, our ego goes into a lot of story making about who we are and what we did and we feel shame and then we do things like try to you know, deflect the experience and avoid it rather than leaning into it. And what's needed right then is actually a lot of curiosity and inquiry about what happened and how can we slow down and weave together some more trusting moments. And it's not about getting it perfect. It's not about opening the barn doors perfectly. It's about being who we are, but listening to the feedback that we're giving each other so that we can learn about each other's needs and learn to navigate that relationship. And that's a piece that we just, as humans, we have suppressed, I would say. We do it very formally or infrequently. We're doing a lot of feedback with each other, but we're not conscious of it and we're not using it. We're not using it to build the relationship. And so the reason why we start the work with the horses is that it breaks it down into these little, my, these kind of micro feedback moments so that we can learn what happens in our own system when we get feedback from another. When I slam the barn door and scare the horse, do I go into a lot of shame or blaming myself or take on the weight of the world around that and then? do I tiptoe from that point forward, you know, and how can I learn to be more resilient in the relationship
0: and rebuild that trust? Cause it, it is possible. Right. I feel like in in retrospect, I probably failed on the rebuilding of the relationship with that particular horse. But you know, to the, to that point though, it's all about the effort we put into it, I believe. Right. So if I were to invest more time and effort and bring carrots and candy canes, it probably would have been a different outcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I adopted a wild Mustang three weeks ago. Oh, wow. I've never done it before, but I've wanted to for, I guess, I'd say like 20 to 30 years. I've been observing them and admiring them and curious about the process. And I decided that there's no time better than a pandemic to Go get a wild horse. <laughs> so I, I went to Idaho and picked her up, up and brought her back to my ranch here in California. And so I'm about three weeks into the process. She's untouched by humans and other than being branded by the Bureau of Land Management and uh, vaccinated. So um, she was herded, her herd was rounded up by a helicopter, and certainly her human contact has not been gentle. So we've been building this trust relationship and it's like knitting a sweater. And it's funny, your story reminded me of in the first week I was sitting on a stool outside of her pen. And at first she was just coming over and checking me out. And I was just letting her touch me before I began to try and touch her. And so she came over and she was sniffing me and I was just breathing and noticing what was happening inside of me as she was checking me out. And the stool I was sitting on, I must've just shifted my weight a little bit and it kind of one leg of it sank into the rock, like it sank into the dirt. And so it threw the stool off balance and I kind of jerked and the Mustang jumped to the other side of the pen. And I immediately apologized out loud. I'm sorry. And it was a really interesting moment because I felt like I had done something wrong. And then I remembered that life with humans For this horse is going to involve a lot of tipped over stools. And we're going to have to learn to navigate that together. And that is not something I have to apologize for, but it is something we're going to have to learn to cope with together. And so it was a really interesting moment. I, you know, it was about her sensitivity and seeing that the littlest thing like that, it's something she's never experienced, but she needs to learn to not be afraid of anything new in order to be able to do life. And so, you know, now I've noticed three weeks later, you know, my human body can shift in a stool or trip or move a little too fast or or be a little clumsier, which, you know, we are, it's who I am. I, I have to own that. And she's getting used to it. And I've stopped apologizing for it, which is a really big growth piece for me. And so, you know, this is the kind of thing that the experience with the horses offers. You know, I said, I'm sorry. She didn't then placate and do a whole speech about how, oh, you don't have to feel bad and, you know, try to make me feel better. Or she didn't blame me and attack me and tell me that I was a terrible person for shifting in the stool. She just took care of herself on the other side of the pen. And I got to sit with myself around the apology and, that's a deeper story for me to grow out of. I don't have to apologize for being an imperfect human. You know, I have had like 15 to 20 of those lessons per day with this wild horse. So it's been really amazing. Her feedback and sensitivity is so pristine, whereas our domesticated horses are much more used to the humans. And so, Mm. um, so it's really been just this, deep laboratory experience for me. And um, it reminds me of your barn story, though, about being able to be imperfect and still have trust.
0: Yeah, that's a really powerful story. When we think about not even just the expectations of other folks, because I think um, you're right, some people will react to the stool. Yeah, you know there the were just two moves and like oh look that's what that's what happens it's usually based on our own experience and our own fears and you know whatever else we've got going on that day. But sure, you know I think there's an, a lesson in empathy and forgiveness on one end, yeah, and then also from our own perspective, I love the fact that you brought up you know this fact that we need to maybe think about when we really need to apologize. And when, when we don't need to apologize and we need to forgive ourselves for making little mistakes that are unintentional.
1: Yeah. And is it a mistake when all we've done is impact someone else, or is it just an opportunity to learn more about who they are? You know, is she an overly sensitive horse? No, she's actually like one of the most courageous mammals I've ever met, but she is a horse who's never seen a stool. And she's never seen a human almost fall off of a stool. (laughs) And so, you know, if we can look at it that way, which we're not used to, and our very complex human thinker makes, you know, mountains out of molehills. And so, you know, we're not used to just seeing it for what it is. And that's really why I stick to the animals as, you know, such core teachers I always have, because there's an element of this that's way simpler than we've made it. and you know, I love the complexity of human psychology. I am a licensed therapist. I have graduate degrees in studying this kind of work. But I also think that there's ways that we have overcomplicated certain things. And we don't understand that in the moment, all we're attending to our little pressures that are just about learning how to adjust and navigate those so that we can take care of our own needs and keep our Nervous systems stable and peaceful enough, and that's all that's happening. And so we've forgotten that piece and putting that front and center, and realizing that that component of our self care and also our relational work is actually quite simple. And it really does come back to we're just mammals navigating space together, navigating you know proximity, being in the same physical space together, and trying to feel safe and peaceful enough. We're trying to be in a homeostasis. We're trying to be in a balanced place. That's all it is.
0: Yeah, it really does bring to light all the complexity we add to our lives. Right. And we can focus on the simple aspect of who we are, you know, as people, as animals, around other animals. Yeah, That's powerful stuff. Now, now I definitely want to get back to writing. I I miss it terribly. (laughs) The more I think about it today, I'm like, I really do need a horse in my life. I do. I'm going to have to break that easily to my husband. But (laughs) uh, Yeah. So I wonder, though, I I know you work with a lot of large corporations, especially out there, probably, I imagine, in Silicon Valley, being in California. Yeah. That come out to the ranch from this high-pressure, fast-paced corporate environments, and then come to the ranch and interact with the horses and engage in your program, what are some of the most powerful lessons that those folks take away from your program at the Circle Up Experience?
1: So usually when people get here, they get here in a hurry. (laughs) Yeah. And you can feel it as soon as it comes through the gate. It's like a wind. There's like a force. And they arrive with all of the pressure that they hold. And it's so diagnostic and informative for me. Sometimes when I see it and feel it and I'm around it, it almost brings me to tears because I see really stressed out mammals. That's what I see and feel. And they come with the desire for an agenda and deliverables and objectives and (laughs) all the things that, you know, and I think it's changed a bit in these months of this global reset that were the great pause, <laughs> it has changed some, but in other ways, it's almost worse. But what I see and have seen over time, you know, what I do is I, I won't start in the way that people are typically expecting, which is like we jump into a lot of socializing and small talk, and then someone's going to talk at them and teach them something, you know, with words. And I I just don't do that anymore. And so I give them usually about a 20 to 30 minute period to do this practice called settling in. Actually, the story of how I learned about settling in is in the introduction to my book. And it comes from something that my daughter taught me when she was about three and a half years old. You know, Our children are a lot like horses. They teach us about needs in a very direct way if we're listening. So I give my clients a you know, 20 to 30 minute period to settle in and explore and take their animal body for a walk around the ranch. And you can do anything you want. And we then do all kinds of interactions with the horses and activities. But people really say that that is a game changer when they realize they're able to see how they came in and what it took to settle down and settle into the space, a new space. And to give their body, their mind, their heart, a chance to explore a new location and to just be without an agenda and to notice things, to look around and see what they see and they come back with stories and they come back with stories of their childhoods and stories of adventure. And they come back with maybe they found this incredible rock in the creek, or they, they a horse came up to them on the fence line, or they go. I have a labyrinth that we built, or they go walk the labyrinth and something a, a hawk flies overhead, or they come back with these moments. And you know what we explore is that you know you can give that to yourself anywhere, anytime from this point forward that experience of just letting yourself settle for a bit. You can give that to yourself whenever you need. And so, you know, most of my clients will use that going forward individually, but also as groups, they use it in their teams. They, that it becomes part of their language and it helps cue them. That mammal part of you needs a moment or 10 (laughs) sometimes (laughs) to settle in. And when we do, it allows us to really be more focused because the part of us that's trying to assess for safety or get comfortable is not distracted. It's actually had a chance to balance
0: itself. Mm-hmm. That is a powerful lesson for folks to learn to slow down and understand the importance of that. And it actually reminded me of a non-horse story, which is when I went to an art retreat last year. So I actually oil paint as well. I used to back in college, I used to do um, horse portraits. There you go. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I did an art retreat last year. It was a kind of a getaway. I wanted to get out and kind of reconnect with my creative side. And it was an impactful experience because I did have to slow down and focus. I had that kind of similar realization that I had been going so fast mm-hmm. and focusing on getting this done, getting that done, getting this d- done. I kind of lost a bit of myself and reconnecting with that other side of myself. The creative part of my brain was an amazing experience, but also was a great reminder that we need those times to reconnect with those other parts of who we are beyond what we do or what we need to get done or what we feel the pressure to get done or, you know, the pressure that is on us coming from different directions. And I've talked about this a little bit from a creative angle on the podcast before driving away from that uh, experience. I realized I was experiencing colors around me differently Mm. than I had when I was coming there. It was just um, an amazing experience. But I imagine a lot of folks that come to experience your program do leave with a new perspective And look at things much differently than maybe they had before they came.
1: Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. It is. It's a new perspective. You're opening up a new lens or a new way of looking at yourself, looking at others, looking at the world around you. And so it's usable and portable in everything we do. That lens that we're talking about here, and I call it our natural leadership. We have to slow down even just a little bit and allow for pressure to settle within us in order to use that part of us. But when we have it online, what we're able to do is actually feel ourselves and others and our environment from that mammal part of us. And there is a feel to the world, a give and take, and a feedback process going on in our environment and in our relationships. And within ourselves, we can start to get a feel for ourselves. And when we have that, we can adjust. We can adjust to, to what's needed in any given moment. When we're blowing right through that feel and we're too busy or we're so stuck in our thinking brain, we don't have that at all. We're just numb. And so what we're talking about here, and it's what, you know, a retreat will often give us is a chance to get out of that numbness. I call it the busy disease. And it is this affliction of not really being in contact with ourselves or the world around us. We're kind of in this like automated state and habituated. So the original text around mindfulness, which is just an amazing, amazing book by Ellen Langer, you know, she talks about the opposite of mindfulness is mindlessness and that's what the busy disease gives us. It's that we're on autopilot. And so when we slow down and do a practice like settling in, or even, you know, you can do two minutes of just taking yourself outside and breathing and just give yourself a chance to look around and see what you notice, see what your mammal eyes are drawn to. Just start paying attention and breathing And stretching your body, moving around slowly a little bit, and you can start to feel yourself settle into your environment and into yourself. And doing that throughout the day allows us to get out of our head, out of that thinker, and back into that animal part of us that gives us that lens or that new perspective that you were talking about. And I think sometimes we think we have to retreat very far away for a long period and and it's complex, and we feel like we can't do it because we can't pause our life, but we can pause. And it doesn't have to be something like sitting on a meditation cushion in a lotus position. It can look however you want it to look. And I think that's the beauty of just settling in is like, you let your body tell you what it wants. Does it want to lay down on the ground? Does it want to move? Does it want to look around and touch leaves? It does want something if you listen. And That's what I've learned from the horses. We have to learn. It's not about being like a horse whisperer. It's about being a human whisperer. You know, there's a whisper right below the surface that's trying to tell us what we want and need. Mm. Like what I'm hearing from you, Rebecca, is painting and horses and time and space (laughs) to be able to really take joy in those colors and in the things around you. And like, that's who you are. You know, we've never met, but I can hear it in you. And that's never going to go away. You're always going to want and need that.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, it's interesting because this reminds me of a conversation I had two or three months ago. I can't remember when exactly when it was, but it was Dr. Hollywoods who was a guest on my podcast. And she had that kind of insight like you've got. So she said, you know, you're an explorer. And I'm like, you know what? I really am an explorer. Uh huh. And you're right. I've also got this creative aspect of myself that if I suppress it, it doesn't help me. <laughs> yeah, It doesn't help me. I need, to, I need to express it. So I think there's lessons there, like slowing down and having to be introspective, having to look at ourselves and our actions and think about our experiences is profoundly important. And in our busy worlds, we don't always prioritize that, but the benefit and the value of that type of activity, even if it's just taking a moment, which I do every once in a while, I'll sit outside and really just enjoy the noises of nature and the sounds of the leaves falling off the trees and, you know, those things that really kind of bring us back to the center of who we are. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. So I'm wondering, too, for folks that leave, so they leave the Circle Up experience, they go back to their hectic, busy lives. Have you received any stories back from from those folks that have been in the program to, to let you know how it's impacted them after the program has ended?
1: I hear a lot of stories and feedback a few days after we've worked together or a week after, and then usually the inspiration to bring their new awarenesses into their households comes first. There's a way that there's some heartbreak around being overly busy, overly booked, and that it is interfering with the connection that's possible with our families, And I think, you know, a lot of the work that I do is with work groups. But I would say that those first pieces of feedback come from people who go home with a new perspective on how they want to show up for their partners, spouses, children. I think when we realize we've been on autopilot with the people who matter most, there's some heartbreak there. So a lot of inspiration to start Practicing some of the principles and activities at home. I hear that right away. And then I hear that meetings are different, that people are taking more time to listen to each other and to slow down and also to notice when someone has a lot of pressure going on and to call it out. So the honest feedback that the horses give us, you know, when we show up with too much pressure and we're not balanced. The horses leave. They go away. <laughs> they they're like, wow, this is this <laughs> yeah. is a lot. This is very I don't know what it is, but it's a lot. You know, the coaching happens when we can see, okay, well, what just happened there and what's going on inside of you that might have contributed to that. And that we actually one of the ways that we can support each other and help each other is that when we notice that's happening in another person, we can actually reach out and name it instead of letting it go. And I think we kind of bubble wrap each other and we'll see that someone's under a lot of stress. We'll be afraid that maybe we caused it, or we're afraid that if we say something that the person's going to get angry or that we're overstepping. Oh, I would never say that to my boss. But the bottom line is that when someone's in a stressful state, when they're under a lot of pressure and we don't reach out, we're actually neglecting the relationship. We're neglecting our role as a fellow human to be caring. And so if we're not giving anyone any feedback about how they might be coming across, we're dropping the ball as a herd member. And so I do hear there's a lot from the teams that I work with. They're much more willing to be open with each other about what they see in each other. And that they understand that it's coming from a caring place and there's a little bit more willingness to take those risks because we've worked on that together and put some language around it. And so I hear a lot of relief. Like I can finally say, I can name when there's too much pressure or I can slow us down or I can say, I need a break. People are actually, what they're talking about is they're able to attend to their needs at work. And, you know, I think it's a fundamental practice for our mental health to be able to attend to our own needs.
0: Yeah. And really making that a part of how you do your work, how you live your life, rather than Mm -hmm. scheduling a vacation once a year or you know, taking a weekend right. or whatever, you know, right. that's not going to do it. We're talking about these little micro moments where we take those deep breaths, yeah. or we go outside and experience some fresh air, or, you know, spend a few days at the circle up experience, right? <laughs> spend some time around horses or animals. Um, but it's just all those little micro moments that we weave into our lives that really make the difference in our overall experience. And I imagine for those teams that you work with, This must have a tremendous impact on their ability to work together and build better connections with their teammates.
1: Yeah, I hope so. That's my deepest hope and why I do this because I think that for the amount of time that we spend in interaction with our teammates and the amount of effort and energy we put into our work lives, we ought to feel safe and supported in those relationships. And I've really become so inspired by what I've seen in groups and seen those transformations and how big a difference it can make if a team has that level of safety and that kind of culture, how it affects each one of those team members, and then it affects all the people they come in contact with. And so if one group decides to work on this and you think about If you look at it from a systemic point of view, how many people that can affect, you know, I'm so inspired to be able to do that work with people knowing that the ripple effect is huge.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think we think about us as human mammals out in the world. One of the things I like to talk about, too, is where are we heading as our human herd into the future? And I'm interested to know your perspective, because I think your perspective is amazing. It really kind of brings us back to the core of who we are deep inside as people in the world. So what would be a concern you might have for our human herd in the future?
1: Mm. I was just reading about a sociologist's perspective of how will this era be studied by sociologists 100 years from now. And I was haunted. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> especially with the varying responses to the pandemic and how diverse that the opinions and practices are. I think that we've never been more aware of how much we need each other because of how isolated we've had to be with the pandemic. And yet we can't fix that right now. You know, we're, we're doing the best we can to try to be in more contact I think the thing that concerns me the most is that we miss this opportunity to see and feel and learn from it. And so I think that behooves us to speak about that and be in conversation about what we're learning from this phase and to realize that we're bridging gaps with things like technology and distance learning. But those will make our situation worse. If we are still not attending to our needs, we're only going to get further apart. And so I worry a bit about that. I see it with, you know, and I hear it from clients who are on Zoom calls 10 hours a day, and they feel even more numb than they used to. And we're missing the human contact. And I just hope for us that we really pay attention to that and pay attention to what our needs are and and not let technology isolate us from each other even more, even once we're able to be back together. I think that there's a lot of conversation needed about how we will weave ourselves back together and what we might do different once we're able to have more contact.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons I I love to ask this question, because it's not just about identifying the concerns that we have, but talking about ways that we can all contribute to a solution. Mm-hmm. So that our future experience is better than our experience today, what do we learn from all this pain that we've had? So you see a lot of memes, a lot of things on social media about how awful this year is. Yeah. um you know that we want to cancel this year that it gets bad ratings and all these fun things. yeah, uh, the reality is is that we should be going through this experience and the pain we're feeling, we should make it a catalyst for effective change for the future,
1: yeah, it's like how can we make use of it? What are the lessons? How do we make sure that we don't miss those? And that we're not just hacking. It's like, (laughs) what's the life hack that we're, you know, trying to do like workarounds and the workarounds. I mean, some of them are needed, right? We're needing to stitch together some semblance of normalcy for work or school or, you know, whatever our family connection, like with people that are far away or that we can't see in person. And We do need to do that. It's not that that isn't a need, but now that we can really feel that need, what did we need before that we were still not getting? I think that's the lesson in the, I keep referring to this as the great pause. Like the great pause. What's the lesson in the great pause? It's do the workaround that you need right now during this period. But what are you learning that you really need more of? Like I'm learning, that I need much more family. I have a daughter who's almost 10 years old, and I'm learning that I need more family to family adventures. So other families and my little family going and doing things together. I think I was needing more of that before this. I really feel it now. We're kind of doing some workarounds to make that happen in little bubbles. But when we're able to do more, I want to really commit to making that happen for myself and my family. So it's like, how can I take the lessons and commit to those in that future state? Because I'm feeling the need right now. I worry a bit. We have pretty powerful forgetters. We have a forgetter in our mind that is able to kind of go back into a denial state and go back into autopilot. And I worry about that a bit.
0: Yeah, I think that a lot of folks are really kind of centering on what their values are, kind of like what you're talking about, thinking about family and that connection you have with your family and other people becoming more and more important and people recognizing the value of that more than ever mm-hmm. before, which I think will lead to, this is my optimism, that that will lead to more connections or more focus on human connection in the future. So let's talk though about what you might be optimistic about for the future
1: you know <laughs> i think that we're becoming more integrated i think we're becoming more localized we're more connected to our intimate community i remember in the beginning of the shelter in place period here you know people were talking about meeting their neighbors and seeing neighbors and we've lost that when i i believe during the industrial revolution and I'm from Michigan, actually from Detroit, and so I think that the automobile really started to divide our communities. I love the automobile, don't get me wrong, but I think that I'm optimistic that um, that we're getting that back. That we're getting more commitment and connection in our more intimate communities, and seeing the value of having people we can lean on nearby, and you know that realization of needing each other. I really see that coming back to life and that makes me so hopeful. And that's the kind of world, you know, I want my daughter to live in is that it is absolutely part of our groups that we need each other and that we can lean on each other and, and that we can really do that authentically. And I see that now we've lived in a state of collective crisis and trauma and I see people, so many people coming together around that. I know there's a lot of division in the world and I, I know that that's also going on, but I also see great hope in the ways that we have come together trying to do good for each other. And I believe that's a more powerful force if we put our focus there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've painted a picture of a beautiful future. Oh, I, beautiful future. I hope so. <laughs> Well, hey, this has been an amazing conversation and folks go out, check out the Circle Up Experience. So at thecircleupexperience.com. So Beth Killo, this has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so much for the invitation. I have thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Through the Circle Up experience, Beth sends people on a journey of exploration, providing them time to disconnect from their busy lives, settle into their experience, and through honest feedback from horses, learn more about who they are as humans. As she mentions, the horses don't care much for our titles, credentials, bank accounts, or general appearance. What matters is honesty, safety, comfort, and most importantly, trust. What feedback do you imagine an equine teacher would provide to you? Would they sense tensions, the things buried deep inside that project an unintentional energy? How might this energy affect your herd, the people around you, at work or at home? And, maybe, how might you give yourself some gentle feedback so that your herd can rest in safety? It can be tough to dig below our layers of self-presentation to uncover our underlying human nature. But when we do, we find an ability to be honest with ourselves and with others about our imperfections as well as our strengths. We also remember what is most important to us above all else. That is the place where your natural leadership thrives and your human connections flourish. Well, I suppose I'm gonna have to find a horse to hang out with and that's likely long overdue. Regardless of whether you do the same, I hope you discover your natural leadership Because when you and your herd thrives, that's when you can effectively shape a better future. So, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Beth Killo and the Circle Up Experience, visit thecircleupexperience.com. That's thecircleupexperience.com. Before you go, make sure to subscribe to Humans Now and Then so you don't miss the amazing interviews coming soon. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.